Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, July 30th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Leaked CDC documents released by the Washington Post revealing the significant risks and contagiousness of the Delta coronavirus variant as the agency announces that those who are vaccinated can still spread COVID-19. With the start of the school year just weeks away, aggressive steps by several Republican governors challenging CDC guidance when it comes to the use of masks in schools. And with the federal eviction moratorium set to expire in 24 hours, the fate of millions of renters hit hard by the pandemic hangs in the balance. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. The director of the CDC now calling on extreme measures to be taken in order to stop the spread of the Delta variant. Cases multiplying faster now than this time last year. The president pushing for states to promote incentives for vaccinations as he announces new requirements to all federal employees. Lorraine Gassides has the latest revelations about the current spread of coronavirus. Leaked documents from the CDC published by the Washington Post saying the war on the pandemic has changed and the new Delta variant causes more severe illness, spreads as easily as chickenpox and more quickly than Ebola. I think this is one of the reasons why vaccination rates in the United States are rising. I think people are starting to get it. That Delta, you don't screw around with this virus. This variant can kill you. So uh, if you're not vaccinated, it's not too late. Uh, you can do it tomorrow. But a new study published in the journal Nature Scientific Reports concluding vaccinations alone will not stop the spread of the virus, saying mutations like Delta will continue until almost everyone is vaccinated and we stop the spread by wearing masks and social distancing. According to the CDC, those vaccinated and infected with Delta carry as much viral load as the unvaccinated. But those vaccinated are three times more protected from getting infected and 10 times more protected against death. Currently, more than 97% of those hospitalized are unvaccinated. So really important to understand that the vast majority is occurring in unvaccinated people, but we wanted people who were vaccinated to understand that they could potentially pass this virus if they were one of those breakthrough infections. The new information causing the CDC on Tuesday to backpedal its mask guidance, recommending even those vaccinated wear a mask indoors in high transmission areas. Meanwhile, the Biden administration calling on states to again incentivize vaccinations. So today, I'm calling on all states and local governments to use funding they have received, including from the American Rescue Plan, to give $100 to anyone who gets fully vaccinated. The president also announcing all federal employees must prove being vaccinated against COVID-19 or face strict protocols like masking and frequent COVID-19 tests, expressing his frustration with the current situation after declaring victory just three weeks ago. In May, you made it sound like a vaccine was the ticket to losing the mask forever. And it that, that is true at the time, because I thought there were people who were going to understand that getting vaccinated made a gigantic difference. And what happened was, the new variant came along, they didn't get vaccinated, it was spread more rapidly, and people, more people were getting sick. 
And right now the country is reporting about the same amount of cases that we were reporting this time last year, but this time cases are rising quickly and last year the cases were actually falling. This past week the U.S. reported about 67,000 cases per day and this time last year it was about 65,000. Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. Meanwhile, researchers are exploring whether COVID infections could have long-term consequences for the brain. Two studies presented at an international Alzheimer's conference point to a connection between COVID-19 and cognitive decline in people over the age of 60. One study out of Argentina reports the virus may leave older adults with Alzheimer's symptoms such as forgetfulness and brain fog. In one finding, there was an association with loss of smell due to COVID that also linked to memory issues that lasted three to six months. Meanwhile, NYU researchers found that some of the COVID-19 patients over the age of 60 had biological blood markers also found in Alzheimer's patients. And with cases spiking, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed an executive order on Thursday prohibiting cities, school districts and other government entities from enacting vaccine requirements or mask mandates. The order comes as coronavirus cases in the states have returned to levels not seen since early spring. Many officials are concerned about the governor's move just before the academic school year is set to begin, with all children under 12 still ineligible to receive the vaccine scene. And joining me now to talk about all this is Ovidia Molina. She's the president of the Texas State Teachers Association. Ovidia, welcome to you news. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So talk to us about your reaction upon hearing what the governor just signed. Um, outrage and, and disbelief. Uh, we uh, as educators have long uh, known that our governor is not listening to us. Uh, he doesn't care about the, the educators in Texas. He, he seems to not care about the students in Texas or their families. We are asking for the ability to have school districts require masks if they need to. Uh, so right now, if we have an outbreak at our school, uh, they are not going to be able to require masks, which would keep other people safe. What's the concern perhaps that you're hearing from teachers in the area? Is there growing hesitancy to return to the classroom amid this rise in cases that we are seeing not just in Texas, but also across the country at this time? Oh, definitely. We are, we are hearing not just from teachers, but bus drivers, custodians, cafeteria workers, uh, school employees overall are afraid. We, we are we're at that level again uh, that we were in the spring when we were returning uh, to school for the first time. Uh, it, it seems like nothing has been learned throughout this year and, and our state is not supporting our, our schools and doesn't care about our safety. In general, how prepared are schools for a return to the classroom? School districts have been doing a, a wonderful job. Our educators have been doing a wonderful job trying to prepare to, to come back uh, in a safe manner. And, and they're asking the governor. It's not just the, the, the teachers and the educators. It's the school districts. The parents are asking to be allowed to mandate masks, to make that rule for their school districts uh, so that everybody knows what's supposed to happen. Uh, what the governor has created is chaos because we have some people that will and some people that won't. Uh, when we, If we have had just one rule, it would be easy to follow. 
The governor's order also bans vaccine requirements, but are you in favor of a vaccine requirement in schools, or do you think perhaps they, there would be pushback from parents? Right now, we're asking anybody and everybody that can get the vaccine to get vaccinated because that's one other safety measure. Uh, we're, we're, require, we're asking for school districts to be able to require masks to keep people safe because we know that, uh, especially in our elementary populations, the requirement can't be mandated because our kids cannot get the vaccine. So they are going to be more susceptible coming back this fall because there is no vaccine for them. So our students are going to be in buildings with other adults. Those adults and those students are going to go out to their families and those family members are going to go out to the community. We're asking to keep our, our school safe so that we can keep our community safe. And the governor is not listening. So what message do you have for those parents who are apprehensive about sending their kids back to school in a couple of weeks? We have started a campaign asking everybody in our community, our educators, our parents, uh, even if you don't have a child going to a public school, if you are concerned uh, about our students and our educators, please uh, go to TSTA.org, uh, uh, write a, a letter to the governor. We have a petition going where it, it auto-populates the, the, the letter that you are going to send, and you can actually put in the message why it is important for you uh, to, to be able to have masks in our schools as a safety measure for our students and our educators and we we would love for the educate for for the governor to listen to the educators but also listen to the science thank you so much for your time and all this reaction ovidia molina of the texas state teachers association please take care thank you and other Republican-led states are on the verge of signing similar orders against masking and vaccine requirements. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis announced today that he will be signing an executive order blocking school districts in the state from issuing mask mandates for students and instead leaving the decision up to parents. And this is what he had to say. Let's take a listen. Very soon, I'll be signing an executive order uh, which directs the Florida Department of Education and Department of Health uh, to issue uh, emergency rules protecting the rights of parents uh, to make this decision about wearing masks for their, for their children. Uh, we think that that's the most fair way to do it. And with the Olympic Games in full swing in Japan, that nation today extending a state of emergency to four more areas, in addition to Tokyo and Okinawa, following spikes in coronavirus cases. The state of emergency comes as Tokyo set an all-time high for new virus cases Wednesday, with more than 3,000 reported. The prime minister said that, quote, infection is expanding with unprecedented speed in the Tokyo metropolitan area and Osaka area. The regions are seeing more cases with the Delta variant presenting severe symptoms. The state of emergency will now be in effect until August 31st. Olympic organizers say at least 225 COVID-19 cases have been linked to the game so far. Turning now to Washington, President Biden called on Congress Thursday to act quickly on the federal COVID eviction moratorium, which is set to expire Saturday. The moratorium has so far protected millions of renters who are behind on payments from losing the roof over their heads. Apparently, nearly 12 million Americans are now behind on their rent, and the federal COVID-era eviction ban for now expires midnight Saturday. You are going to see nationwide on the first eviction notices being issued. 
Congress had approved nearly $47 billion to help people across the country, and only about $3 billion was actually distributed through the end of June. The issue is many people don't even know about this aid. In the state of Nevada, for example, as soon as you apply for that federal money, you cannot be kicked out while it's in process. States like Texas have already distributed millions in rent assistance, but in New York, the process has faced serious delays. Only 150,000 applications have been processed. Adith owes over $8,000 and is still expecting a response to her application. She says her landlord cannot wait because he, too, has expenses with taxes and maintenance. In Arizona, the state Supreme Court decided that up to 25 eviction orders will be processed per hour. Some other states are keeping some eviction protections in place, like California. Anyone that's been impacted by this pandemic it cannot pay rent. 100% of that rent will be paid for. Experts saying millions of people will possibly be forced out of their homes, causing a spike in homelessness and devastating low-income communities of color that have already been hardest hit by the pandemic. Roxanne Schaefer is also in distress as her landlord threatens to throw her out of her second-floor apartment. The judge ruled for me to get out until two weeks ago when I talked to the landlord and he said he was going to lock me out on the 30th. The nonprofit National Low Income Housing Coalition calling for an extension, even though the deadline has been extended three times. The eviction moratorium, while flawed, has kept tens of millions of renters who otherwise would have lost their homes during the pandemic stably housed. Also expiring at the end of this month, the federal ban on foreclosures, which protects homeowners with government-backed loans. The high court has said congressional action would be necessary to extend the federal eviction moratorium. And today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is taking a look at what can be done in Congress to continue the ban through December. Pelosi says preventing evictions is a moral imperative. And another unemployment news, another round of extra tax refund cash will continue to be delivered today as the Internal Revenue Service sends money to taxpayers in the middle of a change to the rules relating to jobless benefits. Those receiving refunds by direct deposit began to do so as early as Wednesday. Overall, about 1.5 million people received an average of 1,600 this week. The IRS has been rolling out these special refunds in batches as it makes adjustments for early filers who paid more than they owed in taxes on their jobless benefits for 2020. And on Capitol Hill, negotiations continue on a massive bipartisan infrastructure bill. President Biden now urging Democrats to include an immigration proposal in the budget reconciliation bill. His latest comments coming after a meeting with lawmakers on Thursday discussing the future of the DACA program. Edwin Piti has the latest details from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Andrea, President Biden has called repeatedly for a pathway for citizenship for undocumented immigrants, especially for dreamers. But yesterday, after a meeting with members of Congress, the president said that the big budget bill being written by Democrats in Congress should include immigration. Just last Sunday, Biden said that it was uncertain whether a pathway to citizenship could be included in the bill. 
that Democrats plan to pass without Republican support. But after a meeting with DACA beneficiaries and also Vice President Kamala Harris, he changed his mind. Senator Dick Durbin was part of the meeting at the White House and said that President Biden stands with their efforts. This meeting was requested by the group of members of Congress two weeks ago as the result of a ruling by a federal judge in Texas who said the DACA program could no longer accept new application. Meanwhile, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto said there is a chance for the budget reconciliation bill to pass that and lawmakers must use it to do something about our broken immigration system. But it seems that not all Democrats are on board. Take a listen. At some point, any member of the Democratic caucus can say, I will not support X if X doesn't happen. So this is not unique to our colleagues who have made those statements. Uh, I could say I will not support uh, uh, reconciliation of immigration, isn't it? I could say I will not support reconciliation if some of the things I care about are not realized. Um, when that happens, then nothing uh, succeeds. According to Democratic senators, the budget proposal would also open doors for legislations on climate change, social spending, and extension of the child tax credit. However, it remains unclear if the Senate parliamentarian who decides which provisions may be included in the budget package will approve the inclusion of an immigration measure. Reporting in Washington, D.C., back to you, Andrea. Thank you, Edwin, for all those details. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. On Capitol Hill, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing plans to meet with President Biden to discuss moving forward on voting rights legislation. Several states have enacted or are trying to enact restrictive voting laws, raising calls in Washington to put some kind of federal protections in place. But this will be an uphill battle. Little GOP support for the idea means a voting rights bill has virtually no chance of passing under the current. 60 votes filibuster threshold in the Senate. The new wave of voting restrictions has been influenced by former President Trump's false claims that the 2020 election was illegitimate. And earlier this week, several law enforcement officers testified to a House committee about the violence they witnessed firsthand on January 6, as a pro-Trump mob stormed the United States Capitol in an attempt to overturn the November presidential election. Well, now one of those officers speaking to Univision about the trauma he suffered that day and its lasting impact six months later. Here's Claudia Oceda with more. He was a Latino officer defending the U.S. Capitol during the attack on January 6, and a few days ago, he gave a heartbreaking testimony to Congress. Surgeon Anquilino Gonel revived that moment when he thought he was going to die. They push us, they pull us, they hit us. Gonel still can walk well due to the wound he received at the hands of the mob that assaulted the Capitol. Take off, take off. 
He told us that soon he will have another surgery, this time on his shoulder. The attack was six months ago, but the nightmare for him is not over. A lot of anxiety. I am living through very hard moments. He recalled how he was suffocating in the crowd, the banging and the insults. We already felt that we were running out of air because we were being pushed very hard. Here we can see his bloody hand. For hours he couldn't move it, he couldn't feel it, but he knew he had to defend himself. They came to attack and maybe to kidnap and also kill people. Gonel, who immigrated to the U.S. from the Dominican Republic, sent a message to those who say he should turn the page. The message I want to leave with them is that if they weren't there, they don't know what they're talking about. The Iraq veteran also spoke about former President Donald Trump. I don't like things that are unfair. That day, there were a lot of things that the president could have done, and one thing he didn't do was send help that we needed. The recovery of Gonel will take time. He expects to go back to work sometime next year. In Washington, Claudio Seda, U News. Thank you, Claudia. And this week's testimony coming amid new revelations today that former President Trump allegedly pressured the Justice Department to declare the results of the 2020 election as corrupt, telling those officials to issue those declarations and then, quote, leave the rest to me. According to notes by Justice Department personnel who were present, that's what they had to say. A group of bipartisan lawmakers are calling for the release of two Americans detained in Russia. They are meeting with the families of Trevor Reed and Paul Whelan Thursday. In July 2020, Reed, a former Marine, was sentenced to nine years in prison for assaulting Russian police officers. He and his family deny the charges. Reed's parents believe he is being used as a pawn in disputes between Russia and the U.S. Whelan, also a former Marine, was detained in Moscow in December 2018. He's been sentenced to 16 years in prison for espionage, a charge he denies. And another congressional news, Carl Levin, the longest serving U.S. Senator in Michigan's history, has now died at the age of 87. Levin ad advanced Democratic priorities throughout his 36-year tenure on Capitol Hill. He announced his retirement in 2013 and joins a private law practice, but continued to engage in politics. He endorsed Joe Biden for president in March of 2020 before joining Congress. Levin got his law degree at Harvard, then worked as a public defender in in Detroit, where he became a city council member. His cause of death has not been released. According to some residents in South Texas, there is a growing emergency in their community. They say a dramatic rise in the number of migrants crossing over from Mexico, coupled with surging coronavirus infections, could trigger a crisis sooner rather than later. Jorge Hernandez brings us their story. Angelica was alarmed when she learned that a hotel in her neighborhood was full of migrants infected with COVID-19. That they came in sick is wrong because they're making the whole community sick and the hotel should have notified the city. Garza and many other residents of La Jolla, Texas, are frightened by the combination of an increase in the number of COVID cases and the record numbers of migrants crossing their land. 
There were migrants there, but we didn't know there were people bringing in COVID. In the last 24 hours alone, 845 migrants have crossed the border at this location, according to U.S. Border Patrol. The incident that triggered panic in this quiet South Texas community happened when a resident called the police when she saw a mother with her two young children coughing and sneezing constantly inside this restaurant. They themselves told us that they were sick with COVID. That's why they were in the hotel that was next to the restaurant. The hotel was rented by the Catholic Charities Organization to house people who tested positive for COVID-19. Their facilities have been overcrowded since last week. His director said they have everything under control and that she is sad by their reactions. The whole family remains in isolation, but they're not all exposed to COVID. It is simply a family member who may have COVID. The incident also drew a reaction from Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who issued an executive order asking all vehicles carrying immigrants who came illegally to be stopped, an act that activists are already questioning politically, while also calling the order unconstitutional. The governor is wrong and is using this to also indicate that there are many immigrant COVID cases. Reported by Francisco Cobos in La Jolla, Texas, this is Jorge Hernandez, U News. The Biden administration has pledged to improve conditions for thousands of migrants being held in federal custody here in the U.S., but reports about troubling conditions at a facility for migrant children in Texas are now causing concern. Here's Ana de Mendoza with more. Activists are demanding the closure of the tent camp for unaccompanied migrant children at Fort Bliss Military Base in El Paso, Texas, because of the shocking testimony from people who work there. They are treated inhumanely. They cannot be called by their name. They have a number assigned to them, and by that number, they have to be addressed. Susana Herrera says that a family member who worked at the shelter told her what he saw. No los dejan que se bañen. They do not let them bathe. When they give them the opportunity to bathe, the children only have two minutes to do so. Another worker reveals to Beatriz Lozano that some of the children have tried to escape and harm themselves. They suffer from a lot of anxiety. They suffer from panic. They have panic attacks. They don't want to eat. These versions coincide with other formal complaints formally presented to the Government Accountability Project. In the most recent one, filed two days ago with Congress, two federal employees who were at the camp as volunteers reported that they interviewed more than a dozen minors. Most of them had had thoughts of suicide and self-injury and said that they were treated by unqualified personnel. And the saddest thing is that they hire people who are not professionals and other people who want to clean up and suddenly they are already taking care of them. I think that's ethical misconduct. The formal complaint indicates that the children interviewed felt as if they were in prison and often begged, please, get me out of here. I don't know if I can take it anymore. Since receiving the first complaint, the Department of Health and Human Services announced the expansion of mental health services and added recreational activities inside the base. It also reduced the number of children housed there. Today, there are fewer than 1,700 unaccompanied minors. We are saying that it has to close, that children can no longer be detained here. Reported by Maria Eugenia Payan in El Paso, Texas. Ana de Mendoza, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, 
Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.